It's Monday, June 21st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Last week, the Supreme Court dismissed a lawsuit trying to challenge Obamacare. The Affordable Care Act has now withstood three different challenges, and the court ruled in a 7-2 decision that Texas and other Republican-led states had no standing to bring this lawsuit forward. Senator Joe Manchin also outlined demands on voting legislation in hopes for a potential compromise. A vote on this should be coming this week. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for this, and also how emails and documents showed how much pressure Trump put on his Justice Department to help overturn the election. Next, when things go wrong at an Airbnb, a specialized safety team mobilizes to help the problems go away. In some cases, violent crimes or even severe property damage is taken care of by the secretive PR team who is armed with NDAs and millions of dollars in settlement money. Team members have said that the job is nerve-wracking, trying to balance the interests of the guests, hosts, and especially the company. Olivia Carville, reporter at Bloomberg News, joins us for how Airbnb is spending millions to make bad news go away. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We will never forget how Republican leaders embrace this monstrous way to rip away America's health care in the middle of a deadly pandemic. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Wanted to run over a few political stories. Last week, we saw the Supreme Court ruling that the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, does remain valid. It was a 7-2 to vote. They said that the challengers to the law said they didn't have any legal standing. This was brought forth by Texas, 17 other Republican-led states. This has all had to do with the individual mandate. I think this is the third time that Obamacare has been saved. So, uh, Ginger, what did we hear from the Supreme Court on it? The conservatives thought they had finally found the recipe to get the Supreme Court to strike down the Affordable Care Act, and it was not there. Again, we saw the Supreme Court in really a nonpartisan way. There was only two dissenters saving the Affordable Care Act once again. Uh, This time was a bit of a legal position. They basically said the state of Texas didn't have the standing to bring this, that it wasn't their place to be challenging the individual mandate, and therefore they tossed the whole lawsuit out. So it didn't really speak to the merits of the law, the case that was being argued, but achieved the same goal that supporters of the law had hoped for, which is keeping it intact and allowing it to continue. I mean, are we going to continue to see more challenges? This uh, bill has been around 10, 11 years now. You would think that they would give up, but I'm sure someone's going to try another way to get into this. And I think that what we're seeing here is the reminder that the court doesn't always function in partisan ways. The legal principles that were being argued here are something that are absolutely in line with what Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh would believe. The idea that the standing question or even the legal crux of the case, the idea that the whole law should be struck down because of those one pieces are things that are not going to win conservative judges. So even if they're Trump appointed judges, even if they're Obama appointed judges, sometimes that doesn't matter. And I I suspect there's a lot of frustration in Republican circles about that. But that's sort of the way the courts are designed to work. And a reminder that they're working in that way. There could be a vote this week on voting rights and campaign finances. Senator Joe Manchin uh, is getting a lot of play again. He released some outlines of demands he had on all of this for the For the People Act, 
last week and you know uh, he had already written an op-ed saying he he opposed the bill as it as it was written so now he put in some demands stacy abrams has said she supports some of these compromises what are we expecting with that i think we are watching joe manchin try to find bipartisan agreement he's trying to find the things that he thinks will get republicans on board And really, Joe Manchin has a pretty straightforward philosophy. He knows that if Democrats try to change the way that Americans vote or rewrite American voting laws on partisan lines without Republican cooperation, they're going to spend years listening to Republicans say every time they lose an election that it was rigged, or at least Joe Biden, I mean, Donald Trump will be saying that as he did about Joe Biden. He's trying to make sure that any voting changes that happen have some bipartisan cooperation. He's trying to get Republicans on board. And those are the kind of things he's asking for, things he thinks that will get them to a place where Republicans and Democrats support the bill. Yeah, one of those things he wants to include there is voter ID requirements that Democrats had opposed for some time. So we'll see what happens. Chuck Schumer says they're going to be taking it up this coming week. So we'll see if there's any movement there. And finally, Ginger, just wanted to uh, touch on this. We've seen a bunch of documents and emails coming out uh, from President Trump and his allies pressuring the Justice Department to bring forth lawsuits about the election being stolen. This was all in the aftermath after the election had happened. And, you know, we just see a a bunch of pressure. There there was a, I guess a lot of people said that there might have been mass resignations if uh, certain actions were taken and all of it didn't happen. But it just shows how far the president was going to push for the Supreme Court, the Justice Department, to all everybody to step in to say the election was stolen. I mean, it really shows that former President Trump was pulling at all of the levers of power that he thought were available to the president of the United States to try to overturn the will of the voters. He wanted the Department of Justice to get the Supreme Court to declare a new election. And we see that in these emails, things that would be just really an extraordinary use of presidential powers. And we were seeing sort of the tip of the iceberg, I think, in the tweets and his public statements. But we we can be confident that behind the scenes, he was being more aggressive and trying to get that the election overturned. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. When you've got two million people spending you know, staying there on any given night, of course things are going to go wrong. And when things do go wrong, this is the team that picks up the pieces. Joining us now is Olivia Carvel, reporter at Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us, Olivia. Yeah, thanks for having me. You wrote a wonderful piece about Airbnbs and what happens when bad things go wrong at these uh, short-term rentals. You know, sometimes there's violent crimes that happens. There's actually a PR team that works really hard to keep a lot of this quiet. It's one of their safety teams, I think they call them. And sometimes they offer millions of dollars in settlements. Uh, There's a lot that goes on. Uh, You were able to speak to a number of the safety agents and, and employees of Airbnb that talked about how this all works out. Olivia, tell us a little bit first about the safety team and what they do. And then we'll get into some of the examples of things that help go away, let's say. So the safety team at Airbnb is a highly specialized team of agents. There are about 100 of them based all around the world. And their backgrounds are mainly in trauma care or military or even emergency services response. So their real job is to 
do what they can to respond to safety incidents or crises when they occur on the platform. So if you can imagine, you know, on any given night around the world, two million people are staying in an Airbnb. The platform is incredibly popular. It's so well known that it's used as like a verb in everyday language. You'll often hear people say, hey, I'm going to go stay in an Airbnb this weekend. So when you've got two million people spending, you know, staying there on any given night, of course things are going to go wrong. And when things do go wrong, this is the team that, picks up the pieces. So these safety agents, their real goal is to protect the individual in crisis and in doing so, try and protect the company's public image from you know some of the worst safety incidents that occur on the platform or that occur inside listings that are booked through the platform. I will have to say after reading your piece, it's worked. I frequent Airbnbs when I travel. The most I've ever heard of was raucous parties that were going on. You hear more stories of bad things happening in an Uber or a Lyft. So definitely the safety team is doing that job. You've heard a couple things here and there, but nothing to the level of what I, I read throughout your piece. So uh, yeah. start us off with the first example that you use, because this example will kind of fuel the rest of the conversation. There was a woman uh, from out of town. I think she was from Australia and she was celebrating New Year's Eve in New York. And she was unfortunately raped in an Airbnb. And the circumstances of that was so creepy also. But if you could, please tell us that story. So this is kind of our, I guess, introduction into this piece. We really wanted to use an example of a case that a safety agent, you know, that might land on their desk or that they might have to take the call on. And also a case where the company did make a large settlement payout related to it. And I think what makes this particular situation interesting is that the crime occurred in New York City in 2015, well, at New Year's Eve that year. If we think back, that was right at the peak of Airbnb's regulatory fight with city officials in New York. And this was a pretty fierce fight between the city and the company. The city wanted Airbnb to play by the rules because it was breaking housing regulations. And Airbnb wanted the city to change the rules. You know, from its perspective, everyone wanted to home share and New York was too strict and its rules were draconian and they wanted the city to kind of get with the times. So it was during the peak of this battle that a young woman from Australia flew into Manhattan to celebrate New Year's Eve in New York. And shortly after the ball dropped, she returned to the Airbnb that she was renting with a group of her friends. She went back on her own. And when she got into the apartment, a man was inside hiding in the shadows and he was holding a kitchen knife and he attacked her. He raped her at knife point and then he fled. And one of the real concerning pieces of this particular crime is that when this man was later caught by police, they opened up his backpack and inside it, they found one of the woman's earrings. They found the knife and they also found a duplicate set of keys to the Airbnb. And it's the fact that this individual actually had access to the apartment. He was inside it. He had the keys. And that's what kind of raises the question of potential liability for right. Airbnb. And in this case, you know, as you mentioned, these some of these high profile people that work on this team, you know, enter a guy named Nick Shapiro. He was a former deputy chief of staff at the CIA. He worked as a national security advisor in the Obama White House. He was working as a crisis manager for Airbnb at this time. He was really new to it. In the end, they never really found out how the man got those duplicate keys. But 
the woman was paid out $7 million in this case. She had to sign like an NDA and all that. And then that story really never went public. And we never heard about that. It did result in a $7 million payout. That is one of the biggest individual settlement payouts that my reporting was, was able to kind of find. I don't think the company you know, makes multi-million dollar payouts of this magnitude regularly. They said to us that even six-figure payouts are pretty rare for them. So this is a case that resulted in, in one of their biggest payouts. But she did not actually sign an NDA. It's interesting, the wording of the settlement agreement said that she couldn't assert or imply responsibility on the part of Airbnb. But it did allow her to speak to prosecutors, speak to police, or to kind of share her story about what happened to her that night. She just can't lay the blame on Airbnb. Tell me a little bit more about what the team does, the way you put it in the article. They're at liberty to spend as much money, whatever it takes to help those victims, obviously, and in turn helping the company. They describe it as shooting the money cannon at things. And give me some of these other crazy stories that happen. What are they telling you about how it all operates? On any average year, 200 million people are staying in an Airbnb and a tiny fraction of those stays result in a safety incident. You know, less than 1%, 0.1% of stays result in any issue. But when you have 200 million people, you're still talking about thousands and thousands of safety incidents a year because there's tyranny in numbers. When they started out, the safety crises were only small, but now they're huge. So the safety incidents get bigger and bigger as they grow, or the number of safety incidents get bigger and bigger as they grow. And that's why they've had to really like work on this team, develop a good system, develop a process, and really get a sense of what they can do, what they should do when things go wrong, and the extent to which they can try and help individuals in crisis. So... Over the course of my reporting, I spoke to over 50 former Airbnb employees, including more than half a dozen that were based specifically on the safety team. And I heard about some pretty awful cases. Obviously, given um, you know anything that happens in life can happen in an Airbnb, kidnappings, hostage scenarios, drug trafficking, child abuse, sexual assault, rape, murder, all of these scenarios have occurred inside an Airbnb listing, just as they would likely have occurred inside a hotel, a motel, or in any given apartment in a city. But to give you some specific examples that were you know, particularly difficult for the safety agents to handle, there are a few that come to mind. There was a situation of a guest who was staying in an Airbnb in Minnesota, and he attended a wedding and came back to the property drunk and crawled into bed naked with his host's seven-year-old daughter. So you can imagine what it was like for the safety agent taking the call from the parents of that young girl after that occurred. And then there are other cases like a a host in Barcelona who was actually using short-term rental platforms, including Airbnb, to try and find victims. And when young women were traveling, he would, you know, offer them a place to stay through the platform. They'd come and crash on his couch. He'd take them out drinking, get them very drunk, and then attack them and rape them and threaten to upload photographs of the attack to the internet unless they dropped the case. The man was convicted, he's behind bars, he's been banned from Airbnb, but the woman in that situation did get an undisclosed payout from the company as well. 
And so what has the company done? Obviously, we're talking about this safety team that helps keep a lot of this stuff under wraps. I know their terms of service also figure into all of that. But what has Airbnb officials said about how they're trying to turn this around or how they're trying to approach all this? Yeah, I mean, Airbnb is pretty open about the fact that they are continuously working to upgrade, expand and enhance their trust and safety policies. Things around, for example, you mentioned party house problems. This was a big deal last year, particularly through the pandemic, as professional party promoters kind of weren't able to use you know, nightlife events, spaces in the cities as all the cities shut down with COVID. So they shifted to short-term rentals and started throwing huge parties in Airbnb properties, which turned into super spreader events. This is also a safety incident. You know, at these parties, sometimes there are mass shootings. Sometimes there are sexual assaults. Sometimes places just get absolutely trashed and the company has to come in and pay out the hosts for the damage. And in the wake of all of that, the company really created these policies to try and prevent party houses. They put a ban in place on party houses so you couldn't have more than 16 people at a property. They also banned users under the age of 25 who didn't have a history of positive reviews from booking an Airbnb in the area where they lived. So that's kind of trying to target a guest who is booking a one-night stay in you know, a 10-bedroom house just down the road from their own address. And obviously that kind of raises some red flags. They also created a high-risk reservation team that specifically tries to hunt down listings or bookings that look as though they could be suspicious or could lead to party house problems. They've put $150 million into enhancing trust and safety programs just in 2019. So the company spends a lot of effort trying to think about policies that could really prevent these kind of things from happening. But it's a really complicated, nuanced area. It's also a platform. So you have hosts and then you have guests. And sometimes they disagree on what happened. And the company has to kind of act as the mediator in that situation. And it also has to think about its own reputation, its own risk, and if there is any potential liability around some of these cases. And the safety agents are really right in the middle of all of that. They are often struggling with mental health or vicarious trauma through dealing with these pretty awful harrowing cases. Some of them form, you know, bonds or relationships with some of the victims and are still talking to them years after the fact because they help them through an absolute nightmare and you kind of create a you know, it creates a bond between you and that other individual who went through trauma. And these safety agents, not only do they have to kind of wrestle with the high personal emotional toll of the job, they also have to, you know, be right in the middle of regulatory issues. Cities where the company is fighting for regulations, safety crises are even more potentially concerning to its its public image and its future and its number of listings. Then they've also got the issue of, the company's public image and and what they do in terms of like offering people money to try and ensure that they don't then go onto social media and accuse Airbnb of, of doing something or being involved in the awful crime that they fell victim to. Olivia Carvel, reporter at Bloomberg News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.